Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. The following message is part of our series called Different But Same, where we are looking at our created identity, discovering our purpose and our calling. We hope you enjoy this message. For those who I haven't uh, met before, or maybe I've just met this morning, my name is Sean, along with my wife, Morella, who uh, just gave our every woman thing. Uh, it is an absolute thing, every woman thing. That is a seriously cool cape, isn't it? I'm telling you, that's coming on tonight, honey, that cape. Was that a step too far? Okay. All right, step too far. It is an absolute privilege to pastor this church here. And, uh, it, you know, we, we just, if it is your first time here today, I want to reiterate what, what uh, Steve said. But uh, we just want to say you are welcome here. Uh, and we'd love to get you to know you a little bit better. So if it is your first time here today, please don't run off straight after the service because we'd love to connect with you uh, and we'd love to just get to know you and, and not swallow you up, but just to get to understand you a little bit better and just to hear where you've come from because each and every one of us have, has a different journey. And uh, one of the things we talk about here, and I say it quite often, is the strength of C3 Hobart will not be by the numbers we draw, but by the way we walk the journey with people. And so we want to walk that journey with you. Today, we are starting a new series focusing on people called Different But Same. Different ways, but same purpose. And my prayer for this season is that during the course of this series, which is going to go for as long as I feel like it goes for, um, that those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And they will mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not grow faint. I want you to do something or other for me. You sat down during a pre-preach song, so I'm going to get you to stand up. I'm going to get you to turn to your neighbor and say to them, we are different, but we are the same. Standing up where you are, turn to your neighbor and say, we are different, but we are the same. All right, you can sit down again now. Don't take too long. I have actually, a confession time here, I have actually never looked through the lens of a telescope. But only last night, I uh, got off the couch and... Uh, that's all right, I put pause on the TV, it was all right, so I didn't miss anything. Got off the couch, and I went out and stood on the middle of the road, and I looked up, and I don't know whether anyone was with me last night on that, but there was a most magnificent splendor of God up there in the stars. It was absolutely awesome. And I understand it's not everybody's passion, but it is my passion because I did 20 years in the medical field. But there's something kind of cool in looking through the lens of a microscope, though, and seeing the, the molecules and, and the insides of a human being. Kind of sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? It's a medical thing, don't worry. But it's also an imagination thing. And if you looked at that video, 
the image was of a smiling woman, a single woman, taken outside of Google's headquarters, and then they used the most powerful telescopic thingies to go as far out as they could to come back to the smiling face of a woman and go as, as, as deep inside and understand as they could, but then it came back to the face of a smiling woman again. And regardless of how far we look out, regardless of how much we look out at the stars in the sky or look through a microscope to understand, at the center of God's creation is a smiling face of people. At about eight minutes past 10, which is the last time I looked at it because we're all off our phones by then and we're worshiping, there were 7.68 billion people populating our world. And apparently we've increased by about 70,000 today. That's a staggering number, isn't it? Yet we are naive if we think that that 7.6 billion people will be in a position where they can look up and thank God for the stars or to be able to be in a position where they can look through a microscope and, 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 and look at his wonder. Because in those 7.6 billion people, we, we have to understand that not everybody is thinking that this is a great time. It was Spurgeon who once said this, the church is the hope of the world. Which in the context of his preach at the time was very transformational. Because the, 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 con the, the congregation that he had were full of complexity and emotions and making really challenging decisions at the turn of last century. A hundred years on and we haven't changed much. And, and I'm immune at times to sometimes when I look outside and, and I see the stars or I, or I look at things, I, I'm a little bit immune sometimes to think about people. So I took Spurgeon's statement that the church is the hope of the world and I added this, is the world is also is all about people. Today I'm going to focus on a, on a passage found in the book of Jeremiah and, and it's a message I've called People Matter. People Matter. Before I get there though, we need to um, use a little bit of our imagination if that's all right. And I'm going to go back to day six of creation, which was read out to us beautifully before. You see, leading up to this time of, of where it was in creation and day six, God, out of the abyss of blackness, has created the world in all its glory and splendor. We heard how God created the stars in the sky. We heard how God created the waters and, and, and the, the earth and the, and the land and the fish of the sea and the birds in the air and the animals that roamed. And each time, out of the mouth of God came these words. Let us, let us, let us. He declared. It was a declaration that God was doing. But then, in day six, something very different happened. Because out of the mouth of God came these words, let us make human beings. 
Now, I, I want to take a little bit of license with the Bible here. So we do know in Job, if you read through in Job, we knew, do know that angels were present at creation because it says that, that the angels rejoiced at the creation. But I want to take a little bit of, of, of preacher's license here because these angels have been viewing God creating the stars in the sky and the, the birds and the, and the fish of the sea and all of these things. And then God says, let us make human beings. I can just imagine the, uh, the differing angels because there would have been your, uh, your cynical angels saying, yeah, yeah, come on, God. There would have been the other angels who were going, come on, let's do it. What's a human being? Think about it. When God said, let us create human beings, we know because we live on this same planet with 7.6 billion people. Can you imagine what the angels were thinking at the time? What's a human being? What continues to strike me most about this story in Genesis there, the creation, is that God went from declaring to making. And it was not, human beings were not formed by the guidance of this divine command of, of let the stars be there, let us make the animals. Let there be or let the earth produce or let the waters swarm. When it came to the creation of man and woman, it became very, very personal for God. In fact, it became divine. You see, let me read Genesis 2, 4 to 7. It says this. When the Lord God made the earth's, earth and the heavens... Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the grounds and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. A few days earlier, God has created dust. What value is there in dust? That's what it is. It gets in our house. It gets in our things. Tell me the value of dust. But what God did is that he bent down and from the dust of the ground, he picked it up and he formed a human being. From this. He formed a human being with arms and legs and molecules and atoms. He formed a human being with hair. We know because the scriptures tell us that out of the dust, he formed a human being that had facial features. 
Because then something really, really cool happened. God took what was an inane object, dust off the ground. He formed a human being. And then what he did with it is that when he had formed it into the life of a human being, he then took his own breath and gave it life. Have a think about that. It started as dust on the ground. He formed it into a human being, and then he said, I have a human being, but the human being at this stage still was lifeless. So God said, I will give you life. And into the nostrils of what he had just created, he gave life. Or no fewer than 700 occasions throughout my career, I've, given, uh, I've, I've been part of providing cardiopulmonary resuscitation or where I've had to breathe for somebody else as part of my job as a paramedic. And there is something very surreal when you start breathing for somebody else. There's something very surreal when you take over their airway and start breathing for somebody else because they are failing to do so. And there has been times when you take that person who is in that situation and you think to yourself, God has given me the gifts and talents and the ability to be able to utilize tools and equipment to be able to give uh, to be able to give breath to this person. The majesty of our God is that he took dust off the ground, formed it into a human being, and then with his own breath, he breathed into the nostrils and he gave us life. Later in the series, I'm going to speak on the physical, spiritual, and mental health of our bodies. Because I find that we can too easily lose perspective of the fact that God created us. I, I feel that we can, we can too easily lose perspective of this was not a, just a declaration of let there be stars in the sky. This was an intimate act of God where he got on his knees, took the dust and breathed life into us. I promise you we'll get to Jeremiah. Because there is something busting in me that I want to get out. But before we do, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine called Abdul. Abdul, as you'll see on the screen, originally comes from a very, very poor area of Cairo in Egypt, and it is a fascinating place for those who have been there. If you look at the census results, in the last census result, it says that there is a population in the greater Cairo area of approximately 20 million people. But if you speak to those on the ground, and I did some work, we visited there as a family, and I also did some work with the, with the Red Crescent training their, their, their paramedics. And if you speak to those on the ground, uh, the figure of the census is a complete approximation because there are so many people living on the banks of the Nile River that they actually don't know how many people live in their city. 
That staggers me. There is, there is talk that there is anywhere up to a 20% difference to what the census figure says. That the census figure says in the greater Cairo area, there's about 20.8 million people, but they believe that there's probably about 25 million people. Abdul was one of these. Abdul was born living among the banks of the Nile River. He had no formal home to grow up in. He certainly probably wasn't, any, any, wasn't schooled in any way. And if you want to talk about people mattering, Abdul didn't even exist. Abdul didn't know his mother or his father, and it was not uncommon. Abdul lived on the banks of the Nile River and got through with the rubbish that was given to him each day. Abdul once said this, at times in his life, he believed that the sludge found on the side of the Nile was more important than him. From the dust of the earth, God created us. Yet Abdul felt that the sludge found on the side of the Nile River was more important than his life. For Abdul, he dared not dream of a better life because for him to dream of a better life was painful. For Abdul to dream of being noticed was painful. For Abdul to even think that he existed or to be part of a census was painful. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. I'm reading from verse 1. And it says this, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. Let me ask you a question, church. Are you putting yourself in a position where you can hear from God? Verse 3, so I did as he told me, and I found the potter working at his wheel. Let me ask you another question here, church. Are you prepared to obey what God is saying? You see, God was pretty clear to us when he said, eat anywhere but the tree in the middle of the garden. Don't eat its fruit. Don't go there. You don't need to be hanging around the tree in the middle of the garden. You know those signs where it says, don't touch, we all touch it? Those so- yeah, some of us do. I'm one of those naughty kids. God said to, to humanity what he had created. He said, you can go anywhere. The whole garden is yours, but don't go there. I'm putting it out there. That if we are not already doing it, we need to start putting ourselves in a position where we can hear from God and obey his voice on a daily basis. Jeremiah was known as a weeping prophet, and that's not because he was a sook. But because he saw a generation of people 
who were so lost and broken that they had forgotten that they were created in the image of God. Leading up to this, if you read the book of Jeremiah, it talks about a people, God's chosen people, who actually forgot that they were created in the image of God. And so Jeremiah wept for these people. Jeremiah was living in a time when people had not only lost their innocence, but they had lost their identity. Not because they were born on the side of the Nile River like Abdul. These people were born into, into good places, but they made a decision. They chose to lose their identity. They chose to worship idols. They chose to do the things. They chose to go to the tree in the middle of the garden where it said, don't touch. They made a choice, and as part of that, they lost their identity. I want to share this, that I believe we are in trouble when the noise of the world has become greater than the declaration of God in our lives. I believe we are in trouble when the forceful hand of sin becomes greater than the gentle breath of our Creator. You see, it wasn't that God had gone silent in this time. It was that as God's people had forgotten the declaration of His voice, the touch of His hand, and the intimacy of His breath. As we look up into the stars in the sky, I wonder how many of us remember that gentle breath of God that created us from dust. I'm not a creative genius. In fact, I'm infuriatingly bad if you give me a blank canvas or a lump of clay or anything like this. I can't visualize a finished sculpture. I can't do it. Yet when a creative person starts out, I believe they do so with a desire to use their hands or their skills or whatever it is and their mind to create a masterpiece out of nothing. A painter has a, has a white canvas normally. They have their, their paint. And they sit there. And I'm sure they can visualize what it's meant to be. I sit there and I go, I have no idea. And I actually look at some paintings and I say, I have no idea as well. <laughs> Nothing against artists. That's me, it's not you. Yet in this scripture, God is the potter and we are the clay. We are the dust to which God gave life. We are the blank canvas to his creation. Yet this is where we get in trouble because so often what we tend to do as the, the dust or the, the lump of clay is that we tell tend to tell the potter what to do with our lives. For any creative person, whether you're blowing glass like Emily does or, or with a canvas like, like, like Candace does or a, or a lump of clay, I am pretty sure that never has that canvas, that lump of clay, that, that glass or whatever it is, I'll pretty much guarantee that it's never spoken to you and said, this is the way I want to be made. And if it has, then we need to do some counseling sessions afterwards. <laughs> We've got it wrong sometimes, people. We're, we're the lump of clay, we're the dust, yet we're telling God what we want to do. As where God is the potter, he sits at the wheel, 
He has the lump of clay and he says, I will create my masterpiece. The second part of the passage is this. Is that I love the fact that God doesn't discard us when we stuff up. Because it has happened a few times. The message translation puts verse 4 like this. Whenever the pot that the potter was working on turned out badly, as sometimes happens. I love those three words. As sometimes happens. Sometimes you have a pretty ordinary rotten day. Yet whenever the pot the potter was working on turned out badly, as sometimes happens, when you are working with clay, when you are working with people, the potter, God, would simply start over and use the same clay to make another pot. When God picked up the dust of the earth formed a human being with the molecules and atoms and and everything inside and took the time and effort for his own breath to give it life, he didn't say when we stuffed up, that's it, I'm done. He said, you know what? I will remold you again and again and again. What a beautiful analogy that we hear in Jeremiah. That God would use the same clay. God would use your brokenness. Thanks, John. God would use who you are. And he would understand, as sometimes happens, things don't work out. But he would use the same clay and he would reform who we are. I want to return to my friend Abdul, if you've got that slide still there. Thanks, Silas. You see, I love the image of God bending down to a pile of dust and declaring, I will make you the greatest masterpiece ever. For much of his life, Abdul shared with me that he felt lower than human existence. He shared his imperfections. In his terms, he was no more than worthless dust on the ground. That was the terms he used to me. This was in 2009. He used the terms, which I find quite ironic, that he was no greater than worthless dust on the ground. People, what did God create us from? Dust on the ground. And so as I spoke to Abdul, I said to him, mate, I came from dust too. Person next to you came from dust. The king of our country that we were both working in at the time came from dust. He's probably got more money than anybody in the entire world. He's probably got more power than he knows what to do with.
yet God cared for him. God took the dust off the ground and he gave it life and Abdul was born. One of my most exciting times when I lived in the Middle East was when I had the opportunity to witness to people like Abdul. And you couldn't evangelize. That was the rules of the country. And you abide by the rules of the country. But what you could do is that you could show them by the life you lived the values of what there was. And over many years, Abdul learned to understand that he mattered. This is Abdul. He's delivering gas bottles. Not the way we would do it here in Australia. But do you know what Abdul was so proud about? Sorry, Silas, can we have that thing? Do you know what Abdul was so proud about? Is that mule was his. He worked hard for his family. And he was able to purchase a mule. And he took value in the fact that his job was to load up gas bottles and to take them day after day. And he was so proud the day he told me that he was a, had a job. You see, Abdul went from thinking that he was more worthless than the dust on the ground to understanding that out of the dust of the ground, God created his masterpiece. Abdul is God's masterpiece. We can discard things that are imperfect or not fashionable. We can discard things that don't suit our needs and we can treat them as being worthless dust on the ground. Yet when God saw the pot was cracked. When God saw that the pot that was being made had some imperfections, when God saw that the pot was not exactly as it was planned to be, He didn't throw it out and discard it. Instead, He took that pot, He remolded it, and He made His masterpiece. I want to share today that each and every one of us is on that wheel. Each and every one of us is a lump of clay going around on the wheel, the wheel of life. And there are times on that wheel of life where we can feel like we've failed God and we can feel like we've failed people and we can feel like we have failed ourselves. Yet God said to Jeremiah, I'm not discarding you. I'm not throwing you out. The people of Judah have broken my heart, but I'm not going to discard them. I'm going to remold them. Why? Because my plan is my masterpiece.
kind of pretty. I feel pretty blessed that God would take my imperfections and He'd say, it's okay. I forgive you. You see, when He sent His Son to die on the cross, to shoulder the bear of humanity. He said, I give you my son. He will carry your imperfections. He will carry your brokenness. He will carry when you feel worthless. He will carry when you feel like you cannot forgive yourself. And he took it to the cross. And he did that once and for all. But it's on us. Abdul had to make a choice. Abdul had to choose to understand that there was a God out there who cared for him. Abdul had to make a choice and say, God, I give over my imperfections. I give over who I am. Create in me a new vessel. We've got to stop telling God what to do and start listening to what God's saying to us. I'm going to ask us to stand. And I'm going to read a quote. And then we're just going to spend some time and worship. But I want to ask the question this morning. If you have not made that choice in your life, that God is your creator, or maybe you have, yet the conversation has all been one way where you've been telling God what to do and you want to start understanding that God needs to tell us what to do. I'm going to ask in just a moment, I'm going to read a quote from Heidi Baker and then we're going to sing a song and I'm going to ask that you just meet me on the side to my right-hand side here, to your left-hand side. Just come out from where your chairs are and come and meet me on the side because myself and some of the pastoral care team would love to pray for you. As we start this series, my prayer right at the start is that those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength that we shall mount up with the wings of eagle, shall, not run, and, shall run and not be weary, shall, shall walk and not be faint. From the worthless dust on the ground, God didn't just declare. God took everything inside of Him and He breathed life. We need to make that choice to say, God, with everything I have, I give back to you. We're going to keep our eyes open. I'm going to read a quote. 
And then we're going to sing. And we're going to finish the service. But I want to encourage you. Don't leave today if you're not right with God. It's as simple as that. If you are not in right standing with God, don't leave today. Because each of us, whether we are Abdul, the king of a country, or sitting here, we have to make a choice to get right with God. Heidi Baker says this, I believe that Jesus would have given his life for just one person. Jesus emptied himself He humbled himself and he so yielded himself to his father's love that he had no ambition of his own. He was not looking to build an empire. He did not want praise or adulation to impress people with who or how many followed him. He stopped over and over and over and over again for just one life. Thank you for listening. If this message has impacted you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us at c3h.life.